Welcome back to Coaching Kernan. It is August 17th. It's episode 23, and we are with you with our panel of resident experts. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host. Our other co-host, America's Most Beloved Sports Writer, Kevin Kernan, is on assignment today. So he will not be with us, but we are joined by our resident expert over, over performance, Sal Marinella. Sal, welcome back to the show today. We're glad to have you. we got a lot for you today. Good morning. Ready to go. And then uh, we've removed, I'm stealing this phrase from Sal, we've removed the cloak of anonymity off of our other resident expert here, formerly known as Bull. We've taken him out of the Witness Protection Program officially now, Major League Baseball scout for the Colorado Rockies, Will George. Will, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Good morning, guys. Um, just a little program announcement. Now the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network has expanded. So in addition to our normal Real Voices of the Game, which yesterday we had a great interview with Little League Baseball CEO and President Steve Keener. Please tune in for that one. Um, we have also added, of course, our panel of resident experts, which you'll hear today. And then our newest show will be this afternoon, our first recording, the She Gone podcast by our favorite certified hitting guru, Jeff Fry, former Major League infielder, uh, will be joining us today. His first guest is going to be John Rocker today. It should be a really good one. And then we'll announce a fourth program to the show at the end of the uh, at the end of the program today. So the podcast network is expanding. Thanks to our audience, we appreciate your support. Continue to subscribe, download, listen, and like us. Uh, you guys are driving this this show, so we we certainly appreciate you. So guys, welcome back to the show today. We've got some topics that have been bouncing around Major League Baseball, and I I figured we'd start with our our guy out in San Diego signed a big time contract last year, multi year multi-million to stay with San Diego for basically the better part of his his uh, his youth. Fernando Tatis is now suspended for the remainder of the season, forfeiting money uh, for PED use. Uh, Sal, you had some good information on that, the especially the medical side of it, the, the stuff he was using. Uh, can you start us off with that? Well, yeah, just the, it's, it's amazing to me that um, we're still seeing in this day and age uh, these ridiculous – I call them ridiculous PED uses because we're so far beyond these ancient drugs that were developed back by the Eastern Europeans, the East Germans. Uh, it's amazing to me, not only that they're still in circulation, but that anybody would think that they're going to get away with using it uh, because it's very easy to detect this. This is a synthetic form of testosterone. You know, pretty much everyone knows what testosterone is. If you don't, we don't have time to catch you up, look it up. But um, and, and, you know, here's a – and I had a great uh, – I'd like to thank a, one of the guys on Twitter who kind of followed up and DM'd me. He had some questions. I had mentioned the, the ratio uh, that they use to test uh, uh, your, your, your testosterone levels. And, you know, we, we walk around with what's called uh, an epi test, a testosterone to epitestosterone level of one to one. And not to get too wonky here, but what that means is when our bodies – produce testosterone, they produce basically as a byproduct an equal amount of epitestosterone. So if Will were to have a great natural testosterone production machine and produced a lot more testosterone than I did, the biology of the process would still mean he'd be at one-to-one and I'd be at one-to-one. So the notion that there are people who are walking around with a higher level is BS. And it's been all as an advent in this era of doping. <clears throat> They've made excuses for guys doping. 
So I looked it up. Major League Baseball tests at four to one, which means you could have a four times level higher of testosterone than the average person and not trip up a drug test. So what I'm saying, in, in a, to, as my dad would say, to make a long story longer, if a guy just used basic testosterone patches that you could get on the Internet, boost your natural test or boost your testosterone level, you're not going to get caught. So these guys are stupid, lazy, combination of both. And, you know, I, don't, I almost don't I not almost I don't have any sympathy for them. Yeah, so, so they can actually, as you're, as you're saying, they can have three times the amount of the normal testosterone level be actually doping and still not get caught by baseball's testing standards. Yeah, it, you, it, was, it's, it bounces around, Dave. I know um, I just looked it up last night. It was four to one. And to give you a little historical perspective, when Ryan Braun got pinched, his testosterone, uh, his T&E was 20 to one. Um, in certain states, certain athletic commissions have different levels. Uh, I'll throw one out there and see if you could guess why. Nevada has a six to one level they test at. Um, I'm sure you, if you know what's a big sport out there, you could figure out why they allow that higher level. Uh, the IOC has bumped between four and three to one. I'm not exactly sure offhand. The International Olympic Committee and WADA, uh, World Anti Doping, uh, I'm not sure if they're at three or four to one, but they're right around that. No, that's good. That's great information. Will, how did you see it from a from a scouting standpoint? I know it's hard. You can't talk specifically about talent, but um, you know what, what? What was your thoughts when you saw him do that? Here's a guy who's talented without it. Yeah, no. he's extremely talented, and it's disappointing. I, I guess it's like the rest of baseball that disappoints us when you see one of your bright young superstars do something that shows you how poor his judgment is. Um, and I guess it, he's a repeat offender on the judgment. And, you know, their general manager said, you know, he's going to have to develop our trust again because he also got injured riding a bike and hurting his wrist. That's why he's missed all year. So uh, I get it. You're young and, you know, think you're invincible. But at a certain point, you got to make better judgment. There's got to be better leadership. You know, his father's a former big league player. He has agents. People, you know, people need to, to guide these people. The Probably the vacuum of leadership in our world is is causing a lot of the issues. And this is just another one that you shake your head and go, why? Well, so. you know, the other thing that's aggravating to me, Dave, is, is you know, I don't care who the sports writer is and, and you know, not to repeat the story, but Kevin and I got uh, connected based on him listening to me and not just looking to regurgitate uh, BS you find on the internet or somebody's going to tell you. You hear these columns or you hear these comments about, well, it's a mild muscle builder uh, uh, and sure. it's not really worth it a guy like this it, that, they're missing the boat that, th these guys that are already elite any little edge you could get whether and it's not always for muscle building it th these steroids and these peds all aid in recovery so if you can cut cut um cut down on the amount of recovery time you need that's as good as adding you know a certain amount of muscle i mean there's no i'm, I'm not talking about a specific ratio that you can improve but if you're if you're getting up day after day and you're not feeling the ill effects of a long road trip or playing out in the extreme weather conditions that's worth its weight in gold so the excuse that is is given also that 
this is not an effective muscle builder shows a, a remarkable lack of critical thinking. And it's still, we're 25 years into PEDs in baseball and the most people don't understand it still. Yeah. And it's uh, the, the, we see it a lot with the commentators during games, whether they're talking about PED use or correcting on-field mistakes. They seem to be apologists and, and almost, uh, I guess, indirectly support what's going on because they're not correcting it. Where's, where's the leadership around this kid, though? Um, you know, both you guys are involved in, in sports in a different realm, but you see it from, you see it from you know, similar views but different angles. I mean, what should be happening with this this young man? Twenty three years old, one of the best shortstops in the game, probably one of the best top five players in the game, talent wise. He's make he's a multiple offender, not with PEDs, but in terms of poor judgment. Will you said the vacuum of leadership around him? What should be happening to this kid? Yeah, we 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 we, we have allowed, uh, you know, the, for to use the saying, the inmates run the asylum. Um, there's no leadership. There's uh, no leadership through the minor league players. Uh, the, the, when you watch games in the minor leagues, guys get away with doing things. And, you know, people, managers and coaches are afraid to, to correct bad behavior. And uh, it shouldn't happen. You know, uh, we've got to recreate a better culture. Uh, it probably starts in youth sports now. You know, these kids grow up, the, the talented kids get to do whatever they want to do. And nobody, people are afraid that they're not going to play for their travel ball team if they tell them, you know, clean up your act. Oh, well, I'm not going to play there. He, he yelled at me. You know, it starts there and it just keeps, it just keeps growing. And, you know, what you end up creating are a bunch of monsters, you know, their, their, their behavior is just not not conducive to how the game should be played and how you should be as a teammate. And, you know, uh, it's probably is the reason we see what we see and you see guys, the game where it's at. You guys probably know better than I, but uh, my, my thought is the, the union would never allow any kind of real pun, punitive um, damage beyond what this short term is of losing, you know, the money for the suspension. But, you know, I think the only thing that talks, unfortunately, with these guys these days is uh, money. And yeah. if it was a, a long-term effect, not just the 80 games he's missed. In the, in the, like Kevin said, it's a drop in the bucket of the life of his contract. If there was some way to, you know, make it a little more painful, I think that might help. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I had read that a, a while ago where, you know, somebody that's that, that's making big money like him and they get busted, uh, they not only lose their salary for the time that they're done and then they lose 10% of their of their salary, first-time yeah. offender or something. You know, maybe that'll make you think twice about it. You know, over the long term of a $340 million contract, it's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, even even the guy who's struggling to make a roster, I, the, the argument I've always used with people, and, and again, for the Tatises and the A-Rods and the guys who signed big money, you know, how about the guy that was the, the scrounger to stay on the roster, but because he's on something and is resilient and can go out there every day and signs that $20 million contract, that's, the, that's where the value comes in for these guys too. It's like, I'll, yeah. I'll do that. 
right? I'll, if I, I can make 20 million or I could be not making anything. Yeah. That's yeah. the part that scares me as a, you know, as a former college coach and, and, and now being heavily involved with the youth, the message that's being sent is, you know, you ask the question, does the end justify the means? And you're like, well, he was probably, you hate to assume, but I'm, I'm guessing this wasn't the first time he tried it and could have weighed into the big contract he signed. And these kids look at that and say, well, he got caught, slapped on the wrist. He misses 80 games, but he still gets paid. And that's the part that scares me that, that the, the wrong lessons are being taught here to the kids. Yeah. And that's, I, I think the wrong lessons are being taught every day. Yeah. You know, you know, Jeff points it out all the time, you know, the reason we see what we see on a little league field is because, and then he'll show who was it, Acuna the other night, that yeah. that show on the home run, which just, you know, it's not necessary. It, it, it truly isn't necessary to embarrass the other team or whatever, you know. Well, well kind of on that note, I was going to move to the, uh, the uh, Mr. Telephone man there, the cell phone incident, but – I saw the other day, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on it, uh, Jerickson Profar, left fielder for the uh, San Diego Padres. Ball hit in the gap. Um, he fielded it off the wall cleanly, played it well, and he stood out there taunting uh, the runner to try to test his arm going to third. Uh, runner ended up making it safely the third. I think they were playing the Dodgers. Um, and I kept in my head, I kept thinking, is this the defensive version now of the bat flip? Uh, did either right. one of you happen to see that? And what are your thoughts on that? Not a smart play. It, it just, you know, uh, the game's not about you all the time. The game's about doing your job for your team. And your job there was to come up, hit the cutoff man, and keep the runner from going to third. Not to play play some macho game or whatever. I I, I, I don't get it at all. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, it's a manager, you know, the, it goes back to the phrase I think we use in an early podcast that I heard from a coach. It's either, uh, it's you're either uh, allowing it to, ha you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. So if that guy did that, the guy got to third and he stayed out and played that next pitch or stayed out there for the next batter, he, that's the manager's fault. That's the team's fault. Uh, you, I forget who it was. Will, you might remember. But I remember when uh, uh, Gil Hodges was a manager of the Mets. I think it might have been Cleon Jones. Loafed, You're right. Loafed in the field. And in the middle of the inning, Gil Hodges came out of the dugout, stood at the first baseline, and waved him in and put somebody else out there. It uh, happened even more recent than that, Sal. Uh, Bobby Cox did it to Andrew Jones. Okay. When Andrew Jones was, you know, right. he got to the big leagues at a young age and had a lot of success and kind of kind of became a little bit of a dog the way he was playing. And he did something on a ball where he just jogged after it. And middle of the inning, Bobby Cox called timeout. And then, but to this day, Andrew Jones will tell anybody that that moment helped him to grow up and become a man. There you go. So it, it, it's amazing, you know, how much they do appreciate it when you teach them how to do the right thing. But we're afraid to do that for some reason. And where I know we talk baseball on the show, we see it across the board where I think it's a problem in coaching right now, where when guys do cross that threshold to start almost parenting these young men and how to act, how to behave, how to do things the right way, they often meet with uh, separation from their job. Uh, we saw it in, in uh, college football most recently, but uh, 
you know, also, uh, you know, on that same note, we all remember that incident with Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson, one of the greatest stars in the game. Billy Martin, uh, you know, demanded. He, you know, felt he loafed it on a, a pop fly to right field, and guy took an extra base, and he removed one of the greatest stars at the time um, from the field. I don't know. Reggie didn't appreciate it. That ended up in a face-to-face in the dugout. But that's what happens sometimes when you hold people accountable and, and you, you call them on their, I guess, their behaviors. It's the old phrase, uh, you know, you create a bar for your team and you never let the bar drop. That's your responsibility. Uh, and, you, know, you know, Jim Leland did it with Barry Bonds. Uh, the, what, second or third day of spring training, he was coming off of MVP season. The Pirates had a really good team. That was when they they went to the final out of the game against uh, the Braves, and the Braves ended up going to the World Series. And But, you know, you know Leland – just said you're, you're not going to do this you know you, you know either and there were a lot a lot more choice words I think I shared it with you guys it was on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago and you know but that you know when your superstar does the right thing it makes all your jobs easier but when your superstars do the wrong things it makes it even tougher for the managers so it is and yeah, you're right Bonds was coming off well, at the beginning of what ended up being a great run for him, but yeah. that was why Leland was successful. And and hopefully players, you know, you guys both mentioned it. It's one thing for the manager to hold them accountable, but that internal structure of player leadership has to to keep that tight as well. And I think that's what uh, we're kind of hitting on with both Tatis and, and Profar. And uh, we'll, we'll get one more here. Rodolfo Castro, that was a young man, just got called up from the minors, Mr. Telephone Man was sliding into third base, uh, a base hit. I think it was by O'Neill Cruz, uh, another good young star. Yeah. Uh, you know, he took the extra base like he was supposed to, and sliding into third base, his cell phone popped out of his back pocket. Uh, you know, he got hammered pretty hard by at least our contingency out there in the in the Twitter world. But, uh, you know, what, what were your guys' takes? Sal, what was your take on that when, when he, he kind of apologized for it? I think he got a one-game suspension and a small fine, but wh- where do you stand on that? Well, you know, it, uh, my first thought is why was there even a phone in the dugout? I think that's the, that's the, that was my first thought. Like, how would you accidentally have it in your pocket? Because I would have never thought it was allowed, even in the dugout. So that goes to, back to your point about, or Will's point, and everyone's talked about it at one point or another. What goes on from a uh, rules and regulations standpoint in that dugout that that guy even has a phone at all? So that that's me. The, the, the one thing I will say, Sal, I think um, some of those, uh, like in the a lot of the minor leagues are using those swing track devices. Okay, and they're tied into your cell phone, your account. So maybe being a minor league, but and I'm not speaking with that, any yeah. knowledge to yeah. this, but I have seen. Um, you know, cell phones in use that way on the bench. And that makes you know, sense. And, and, and like Major League Baseball, though, is very, very adamant. And, you know, in that article that that I shared this morning with him getting the one game, you know, the cell phone is, is an easy way to cheat because it can vibrate in your back pocket, you know, fastball slider or whatever. Right. Right. You know, so, so, so it is a very slippery slope to have it, anywhere down there and you know supposedly at the major league level there's only approved ipads 
Yeah, because so I know that's... even in high school football, you're not in. Uh, you're not allowed to have a cell phone out on the sideline because you could have your guy up in the booth and you could speak on the headset, but on the hel- on the cell phone, you could have someone sitting behind the opposing bench. You could have oh, yeah. all kinds of so. That's why, to me, I just I know there's iPads in the dugout and obviously on the sideline in sports, but to me, it just was interesting that they even would have a phone in the dugout. So. Right, and that was what the suspension was for, right? The the rules violation for it me. It was the rules violation of having a uh, a cell phone on on your person during the game. Yeah, but there was was there any team repercussions there? Because we no not lying about that. What would no. Billy Martin do? No, they, uh, you know, and, and I saw the interview as manager, I think really felt bad for the kid and, you know, but who knows? I, you know, I would have liked to check and seen how many selfies he took during the game yeah. prior, <laughs> prior to it's going into the media. Yeah. I'm sure coming up to the bigs, you know, you, you get your call up and he was probably hoping to be in the media for something other than the cell phone. Right. That kind of day. Right. He got on base, obviously. Again, we're talking about, I guess, different topics, but similar theme. I mean, how does how do you prevent that from happening as a as a club, as a teammate, as a manager? I mean, what's the before, middle, and after that? I don't know. You know, for me, you know, when I played and coached in the minor leagues, we had a, you know, the valuables box. You know, to me, when and I think Jeff put it on Twitter, when you get to the ballpark, you throw your car keys and your rings and your jewelry and your wallet and put it in a sanitary. And uh, I I personally would have the cell phone go in at the same time because now you're at the office. Once you're at the ballpark, you're at the office. Yeah. We're we're speaking too. We had those, but I, you know, I, I joke with my children all the time. They asked me what I used to watch on my iPad and I had to tell them, I said, there wasn't even email when I was playing, you know, email had not been, invented yet so that's uh, that's how far back we're going right all this stuff so I mean, you know what the, the cell phone has infused itself or in, injected itself into our life like back in the day you know you had a, i would use a watch and you would have a watch to time your clients now you know so much of what i do based is based on video analysis that my i always have my phone because it's my timekeeper it's my uh it's my um note taker during sessions and it's a tool i use when i work with people i show them what they just did. And that, you know, the picture is worth a thousand words. The video was worth more. So there's a fine line there in certain settings that you have to not take advantage of the fact that you are using your phone also. So Sal, that's a great point. I I saw uh, a meme that had a page ad from Radio Shack and uh, everything on the page added up to about $12,000 worth of electronic equipment that is all now on your cell phone, basically. I mean, like 15 15 years ago before the smartphone, if if a trainer was on any training floor anywhere and had their phone out, they were going to get disciplined. Now it's, it's, you know, it's part like you, it's part of the equipment. It's part of your, you know, your accessories. So you have to have it. It's just, you know, where does it become a distraction? And where does it get in your way? You know, based on what you're telling me, Will, my perspective of this kid with the cell phone in his pocket is completely different. You know, it still doesn't excuse it, but it's like, hey, he's a dopey kid. Like all of these kids today at some point are still dopey young kids. Yeah. You know, and it's because. Well, you know, and, 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 and they may have had the swing. 
the swing tracks tied to their cell phones yeah. in the minor leagues and yep. you know because it does give you feedback data on exit velocity you can get um all everything within your swing path all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of there is a lot of data that that, that goes into those but again um <laughs> you know do you really need it in the game right. at that moment? Um, I, I I say no. Right. I see coaches, and I cringe. I see pitching coaches with iPads talking to their guys between innings and showing them things that you know. And you know, as a pitching coach, you know what? The game is not the time to to. to do adjustments right like you said you or kevin said there's guys watching the pad ipad instead of watching what's going on on the field yeah oh yeah it's yeah. And, and 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 it's just it's insane you know what you don't need that feedback you know right. if you hit the ball hard or you know if you just got jammed well and then there that's your bigger problem is it's not that the kid might have had it in the in the dugout to look at his swing it's the fact that they're so concerned with that that yeah. it's got to be Right there, that he has. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's a false crutch, is what it is. It is. Yeah, that's it a good is. point. How about now? You guys both, you both work uh, in great detail with with athletes. When an athlete is in deep training, as opposed to competition, and I think I hear you guys both saying that there's a major difference that the kids in our audience need to know, and, and the parents and coach. So, when you're in a game, you're in competition, and when you try to pull yourself out of that, and try to train yourself while you're playing, almost work on the plane while you're flying it, that inhibits your competitiveness, your ability to perform, as opposed to, you know, when you get a kid, like we were talking offline, Sal, privately, you get a kid one-on-one in your, your facility and you're doing some training, you're in a whole different mode of movement. You're in a whole different mode of instruction. Um, can, can either can either one of you or both of you guys articulate that for our audience here? That I know what you're trying to say with the, the cell phone usage, but what's the difference between the two atmospheres? Go ahead, Sal. You go first. I just want to make sure I'm clear between like game time and training. Is yeah, that I mean it's yeah. The basically you said it much simpler than I did. Right. Yeah. So so I, I mean well, I've always felt that um, there's a there's a um, a spectrum that goes from what you mentioned at the end there the the way you train and then the way competition evolves and and actually occurs and in that spectrum from let's go left to right, from training to game, you have to go from very detailed, very specific, very focused. And then the closer you get to your competition, I, I, I feel you need to have chaos be injected into the situation, into the circumstances. So when chaos occurs on the field, your kids are not thrown into a tizzy. And I'll give you a real quick example. Um, in football, I've got I got away from this whole structured, almost um, borderline cult-like addiction to a certain way of warming up that takes an hour and a half, an hour and fifteen minutes for a football team to do before they go on the field. And I've evolved to a point where I want my guys ready in twenty minutes because there's so many times in high school that your plans get screwed up that you don't have the hour and 15 minutes to get ready, that if you don't do that, your kids are like, holy crap, we've done this every day, every practice, every pregame. Now we don't have that. So, you know, I think there's a huge difference, at least how I treat it. 
um, from the training and starting my training. And then I start to incorporate that kind of an atmosphere in my training sessions in the gym with my, my athletes as well, because that's how your body needs to be able to respond during a game. You might be pushing and pulling uh, down low in basketball or even in lacrosse, a lot of body contact, and then you're out in the open space and you need to sprint and be quick and make an explosive move past someone. So I don't train those things separately. I train them together, again, to take them from that spectrum uh, of organized and under control into chaotic. Yeah. And then once they hit that competition, I mean, that, would, would you agree or disagree? It's, it becomes more intuitive. You've done all the work. Now yeah. it's time to let your body and mind do what it's supposed it, it, to do. My uh, high school coach used to say, "You bait the practice, uh, the game day should be the easiest part of your week." Yeah. So yeah, uh, those the, the uh, you took my words right out, Dave. You know, if, if you know practice and preparation um, is 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 when you prepare for the game, and then the game is the game. You're trying to go out and win the game. You're trying to perform at your highest level you're trying to execute pitches um being a pitching coach we did our work you know non-game day uh for my starters they're in between starts you know we wanted to create create a good delivery with rhythm and balance rhythm and timing ability to execute pitches so that when the game came you're in the moment and you're executing the game um, I, you know, my son was a hitter and, you know, I taught him, you know, the same things, you know, that, that, that you do all the work with your swings, taking BP, taking ball off the tee, you know, creating good rhythm and timing and getting, keep, keeping your barrel through the zone. So when the game came, you're not thinking about the mechanics of what you're doing. You're playing the game and reacting to the moment. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, you know, and, 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 and I think that's a big problem in the game right now, that there's too much, too much overthinking in the moment instead of reacting to what's going on in the moment. I hate to go back to Bull Durham all the time, but uh, what's he tell Nuke Lelouch? Don't think it can only hurt the team. Yeah, no, exactly. No, it's, it's, uh, you know, you're, you know, you just, uh, you know, you can't be, uh, you know, you, you have to be your own best coach and you become your own best coach by working hard and knowing how to make the best version of you um, mechanically as a pitcher, as a hitter, as a runner, as a fielder, so that you're, you're able to make adjustments and you're able to feel when it's right and when it's wrong. Yeah, I think those are great points. But, uh, all right, let's uh, let's move to uh, Sal. You had texted me this right away yesterday. Um, one, we have another Met pitcher injured. wasn't as bad as we thought, but Walker Bueller, the, the bright young star for the Dodgers, is out with season-ending Tommy John surgery. It seems like we talk about a, a new guy every week when we get on here. Um, again, I hate, hate to keep beating beating a dead horse here, but what, what's going on with with these injuries? What who's you know you always talk about who's accountable. What are, we, what are we doing wrong out there with these young pitchers? Well, I mean, I, it, it, you know, look, look, my son had an ACL tear in football. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that it changes, their, it changes them going forward. There's no two ways about it. So, you know, 
it's a big deal because this guy was a, a top draft pick despite the fact he'd already had surgery. So these guys stay in the spotlight. People ignore it. They treat the surgery as a panacea, and it's not. Now, it's unfair to these guys, perhaps, that they get you know, dropped in the uh, draft order because of a surgery. But, you know, we've said it on the show 100 times. The best predictor of future injury is, is past injury. So that's the problem. I mean, it's not going to stop. They're, they're, you can't refix that. You know, all these guys, once they've had the surgery, are living on borrowed time. And it's just a matter of um, when, not if. And it, the surgery and the new structure, the new ligament, doesn't repair or address the factors that led to the injury in the first place. So if there's a mechanical issue, the mechanical issue is still there, whether it's your Tommy John surgery or your knee surgery, you know. I mean, we have to meet this upstream somewhere when these kids are younger. We talked about the DBS program. You know, we, we had uh, we had that on the, them on the show a couple weeks back. We've got Jager bands. I mean, how, how do we meet this problem upstream or is there, is there another answer to it? Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's going to have to start at a younger age. Um, I think we've got to uh, uh, educate the parents and the kids teach the kids how to say no, have coaches have a better understanding of the damage that they're doing to some of these kids. I got a text from a friend down here in uh, Delaware who umpired over at uh, Sports at the Beach, and uh, it's a big complex with, you know, youth youth games that go on all weekend, and he was in the older, older groups, and I mean, uh, uh, there was a kid that threw 170 pitches and came back again and threw 56 pitches on uh, the very next day. Um, there, I, you, you know, and, and, and he texted me. That was the one that jumped out at me that just blew me away that somebody actually would do that to a young pitcher that was 15 years old. Um, so... These just aren't good things, but um, you know, you know, we need to fix fix what's broken, and we you know, we talk about it all the time. We got to address it, and we got to stop doing the same things that we're doing. I mean, until someone puts in hard and fast uh, regulations and rules preventing that, it's not going to change because left to you know the Tower of Babel approach does not work. So if you were given that, if you were kind of, if somebody just anointed you today as, you know, and I know you've talked about different indicators with shoulder flexion. You and I talked offline, I think the other day about that. What were some, what would be some things that you would institute at a young age in terms of mobility, in terms of, you know, body movement, posture that would help parents, kids, young coaches understand that this is what a kid's body is supposed to be able to do before you throw 75 yeah. pitches or even one pitch. Well, I, I think you, for, you first of all, you have to take a little step back. And we had this kind of uh, uh, conceptual argument on, on the podcast with Kevin that um, the kids should know and the parents should know and all that, which I agree, but we're past that. So we, we can't use that as an excuse anymore. We have to go back and look at some hard and fast rules. And, you know, I'm thinking, do you change the time frame for when a kid throws at 60 feet six? Do you... Uh, like I said, limit severely limit how much pitching these kids do until they get 
into their freshman year, sophomore year of high school. Will that change baseball? It might, but we're at a point now where you're ruining the athletes. So, you know, it might make it better. I think it could make it better. I think you could save arms if you stop this ridiculous year-round baseball where pitchers had to pitch and did some other things that maybe saved arms. And, you know, it made it more interesting. You still could have a very interesting game with some kind of pitching machine and everything else is the same, you know, to try to get these kids to play games and not have to, you know, depend on the same age arm throwing pitch after pitch after pitch. Nice point. Um, well, I had, I had a young man's uh, grandfather come to me yesterday. I actually coached his uh, older grandson, wonderful pitcher. I think I talked to you about off the air. He pitched in our last tournament, only throws fastballs, and he locates very well lefty. Uh, yeah. Velocity, but very good mechanics. Uh, he has a younger brother who's 10, saw that, and all of a sudden wanted to be like the older brother. So they're talking to me about getting the younger one who's 10, just turned 10, pitching lessons. It made me cringe right away. But um, what would be your thoughts on that, uh, getting a 10-year-old pitching lessons? I, You know, I mean, I've, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when it's a 10-year-old, uh, you know, you're not in it to make any money. What, you know, what you want to do is just make sure that, that he uh, has a proper foundation not to hurt himself, that there's some balance, that there's some direction to – where he's throwing, that he's not, uh, that he's staying behind the baseball when he's throwing, teach him, you know, teach him all those proper throwing techniques and let the rest, you know, come, come naturally as a young person, uh, you know, to, to let him figure out how he's going to throw strikes and be a pitcher. What about but, the on the ball? I see a lot of kids that, at this point, don't even understand that they're paying. No, no, you know, that's our young that's, one, that's one of the first things. Uh, and one of our future guests, Joe Barth, we used to do camps. And one of the things like when we first started back in 1986, that we, we realized that how many kids didn't know, even know how to grip the ball. You know, we had kids that were throwing three finger fastballs. That, that That's basically a change up. You know, you, you know, they, they, they didn't realize that you throw harder with two fingers on the ball than you do with three. So, you know, uh, you know, cross seams with the seams, whatever, you know, but basically, you know, at a young age, I like to start out everything kind of four seam so that we teach them how to stay behind the ball and feel those seams back spinning, you know, uh, while they're while they're throwing. And, you know, teach them how, how to throw the ball with just two fingers on the ball, not three or four. Like, that's, that's the other thing. You know, at the young, really young age, they, you know, they got, you know, they're almost throwing circle change-ups every time they throw something. Yeah, and that four-seamer for the audience, it helps to kind of keep it a little bit more straight. That's what an infielder yeah. would do as a second baseman. That's what I yeah. try to do. What about the thumb position under the ball? I see a lot of people kind of grabbing it on the side, and that's not where we want them to have it. No, no. You know, the more you slide up on the side, the ball will move more and do different things. You want to just try to be comfortable underneath the bottom of the baseball. Um, 
I had a double jointed thumb, so like mine was a little bit weird underneath of the ball. But it was just kind of, uh, you know, it would be six o'clock to the twelve o'clock of where my fingers were on top of the ball. Yeah, Sal, go ahead. You wanted to add to? Yeah, well, there's you know other sports have pretty good progressions as to when athletes are ready to do certain things. And one of the big changes that was made, and you know, I think it was for the better, is limiting contact early on uh, in a football player's career. And there's there's plenty of stories of guys who have become successful at the highest level that didn't start tackling until freshman year. So it's not ridiculous to uh, put those same uh, effects or those same uh, rules in effect for baseball given the injury problems. I mean, there's just you can't ignore it. Uh, also, you know what? There's, in addition to the, the lack of ankle range that we see in athletes because of what I like to say, I, I stole this from someone, I forget who said it, we've been molested by modernity because of our modern contrivances. Hand, hand and wrist flexibility, hand strength, wrist flexibility is terrible, flexion and extension, because of cell phones, typing, and uh, video game playing, where your hands are in those positions. I had a college tennis team I worked with, male and female, over 30 athletes. Uh, I would say 90% plus all had a hard time holding a push-up position because they had poor wrist flexion. Um, so, uh, so those are issues with Will talking about holding the ball with a, a young kid that has poor hand range or poor hand strength because their thumb is not strong enough or has the range to get around to the ball where it needs to be. So just another little issue I think that could be uh, identified or should be identified. What, so, what are the exercises they can do to maybe get outside of throwing their cell phones out? And that's got to be a hard task with today's kids. What would be some exercises they could do to strengthen hand and wrists? Um, well, I mean, I think the best there, – there's old uh, – this is a little uh, off the beaten path. There's an old school uh, implement called Indian clubs. Indian clubs are great for range of motion of your upper extremities, your shoulder, elbow, wrist, hands, fingers. You know, if kids – more kids played instruments, you know, that's another discussion, probably the music uh, programs we have in our schools. If more kids played musical instruments, their, hand, their dexterity would be much better. Piano, guitar, drums, any wood, any any instrument with keys, any instrument's going to help. Uh, drums, any is going to help um, your wrists, your fingers, your coordination, your hand strength. Basic, you know, opening and closing them, rotating your fingers, rotating your thumbs, just basic stuff like that. Sometimes is all you need to do. I like that. No, it's, uh, that's a, those are great points, uh, and it's not off the beaten path. I think it's it's more needed now than ever before. Well, how about just like old-fashioned squeezing a ball yeah no of course. yeah but, that, but that's, you have to the, the 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 contraction is good but you the problem is these guys the kids are all squeezing all day you know they're squeezing to hold their phone uh they're squeezing to hold a game pad you know a lot of other things wind up being done with that posture where they're rounded their shoulders are rounded that hand posture affects your shoulder girdle and your neck and your head positioning so you know all of those i think there's a reason when i get these you know run of the mill i don't mean that in a negative way but just like your typical high school athlete they all exhibit similar issues because they're all issues that revolve around poor posture weak feet weak ankles and i'm just 
saying this from our conversation here, there's no question our young kids' feet and ankles are too weak to do what they're being asked to do. I just did a video breakdown of two high school baseball players last night exhibit the same symptoms. There's no reason to believe the hand is not the same because of the same the same issues with how their hand use has changed over the years. And, and how do you how do you improve the feet and, and ankles? Just uh, I mean, ankle circles, calf raises. What are some things? Not well, I, mean, I do. I, I have barefoot. I have the guy. Uh, my athletes take their shoes off. And we do things barefooted, not with the minimalist shoe, but barefooted. Um, there's a series of exercises you can do with your feet and and some basic ankle range of motion stuff. As you said, trace the alphabet is a good basic one. That's you know a passive kind of move. You can do that while you're sitting around. But there's a, a whole array of things to do that I try to do um, and some points of emphasis that can help strengthen the feet. Nice. Well, you want to add to it? Yeah, uh, I, I actually had a question for Sal. Like I've worked with some younger kids over the past 10 years since cell phones and video games. And I find, you know, I'm working with a young pitcher and I'm trying to get his fingers right on a baseball that their hands feel like they're made of stone almost <laughs> like there's like, there's no, like, like for all the video game, I would think that they would have more dexterity in their fingers or whatever, but it's like, it, it it's like their hand is like, like this claw. Yeah, claw. Right. That's how the video games are held. Yeah. Like that's the, because they're in that contraction. They're holding the controller. It's really not a lot of dexterity. It's their thumbs you know, and their hands are in, locked in that position. I mean, true dexterity, you, watch, you know, my two of my three boys played the piano, my other played the guitar. You could watch their fingers work. You know, that's really where you could develop that dexterity that's going to take you to the next level. You know, the, the squeezing the ball at this point is just reinforcing the overuse they're doing in other, in other areas. Right, right. Um, did you, Sal, have you ever seen the, uh, the, uh, the rice buckets? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Martin used to use those. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, he used to use those, uh, oriental balls to create flexibility in his fingers and Boating balls. yeah, the, the Benoit balls or whatever, which, uh, and it builds strength and dexterity, it built, you know, tendon strength in the elbow area. Um, like, you know, like as I'm sitting here, I'm just doing a thing on my pitching hand where I count with my thumb from my, uh, my forefinger all the way down to my pinky and just keep going back and forth, you know, which is almost like using those balls when you're twisting them. And that's all great. The problem is, Will, is if these kids are doing the other garbage in the weight room, right? it, it, It gets lost in the noise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Carlton's workout, you know, with Gus Hoffling were, were amazing. You know, that I used to hear guys that played with him and they said, you know, nobody could understand it, but boy, it worked. <laughs> well, and that, yeah. And those are the things that where people say, Oh, you're not going to put him in the weight room. What can you do? Those are people that have an incredible lack of imagination yeah. and lack of knowledge of what you actually need to do to develop physical competency. I like that. that. That's good stuff for our audience. I mean, we weren't planning on going there, but uh, I think they, they can take away a lot. 
from our analysis. And then now they have some practical things to do. You know, so we, we all know we've got the Little League World Series coming up. Uh, I, I enjoy watching and I had a great Little League experience. And we're coming off the Field of Dreams game for Major League Baseball. I'm glad they kind of put them together. Uh, Steve Keener was on the show yesterday for our Real Voices of the Game. And he talked about the importance of kids playing Sandlot more. And they actually have a program now in Little League Baseball, moving the parents away and going out and playing. Kind of want to end the show with you guys. It, it could be about Field of Dreams. It could be about Little League experience. Um, we have seen some stuff go on now that have been, you know, we saw, uh, you know, the Washington Regional with the foul ball, you know, where they had the instant replay come in. I never thought I'd see instant replay with Little League Baseball. We had the young man from Texas, I think, hit the batter in the head, and then they ended up hugging at the mound. And uh, I want to send, send uh, good good thoughts out to, to Easton Oliverson. Uh, he got injured uh, yesterday in the bunk room. I actually fell out and he had surgery. Um, so I want to send some good thoughts out to him and his family. Hopefully he recovers soon. He was a Little League baseball player out of Utah, I believe. So we're yeah. tying our, our site to hashtag Team Easton uh, today. So make sure people follow that. But what, yeah, what, definite prayers for him. Yeah. What are some thoughts on the Little League Baseball World Series coming up? It's expanded to 20 teams now. We haven't seen it really for a couple of years because of COVID. And maybe some good experiences or thoughts you had on your Little League experience. Uh, okay. You know, for me, I, I still love watching it because it's the pure uh, romantic joy of the game of baseball and those kids and their faces to watch them play the game. Uh, you know, you hear them talk about, you know, the kids are constantly playing with little wiffle balls and stick balls and things like that. And that's, that's, that's what makes those kids good. And uh, it ends up, you know, you watch these games and these are really good baseball teams. These kids have worked really hard and I always enjoy, you know, whenever I get a chance to watch some of the games and, uh, um, you know, my memories of little league were, were fabulous. I got to play in the all-stars for a couple years. Um, my 11 year old year, we lost to a team that, uh, that went to the state final and lost to a team that lost in the little league world series final. So, um, we didn't we didn't get over the hump, but it was a good game, and I got to pitch three innings in it, and I think I struck out seven guys. So I I did I did my job that day. What um, do you have any memories? I mean, you, I I remember my first the first memory I have of the Little League World Series was when I want to say his name was Co Cody Webster out of Washington. Uh, Taiwan had run through the World Series for about a decade. And it was the first televised World Series. And he came in, I think he was like 5'7", 180. And uh, he shut him down pitching-wise, hit a three-run jack to, to take the USA to the first first uh, opportunity uh, to the Little League World Series. USA hadn't won in a while. Is there any memories you have? I mean, I know, Sal, you probably remember the Toms River team going yeah. through with, with Todd Frazier. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always watched it. I've always thought it was fun. I enjoy watching you know, youth sports. Um, personally, that was my first – Little League Baseball was the first opportunity I had to uh, shine and get noticed, and it kind of set me on my path in life, and I met great people thanks to that. I had great coaches in Little League, and that kind of helped me um, set up my high school and college and why I do in a large 
part why I do what I do. So, you know, Little League always has a, uh, a special place for me. And I, my guys didn't play baseball, but I always tell them when we watch baseball how important it is for pe- people to understand baseball because it makes you better in other sports. You get that situational awareness that comes about with every pitch almost in baseball that prepares you for the other sports. Football's close, um, but I think if you play baseball, you really get tied into that relationship quicker. And uh, that's what, that's one of the things I love about baseball. And I can look past the, the nonsense of, of, of what it's turned into. But then you go back and you watch Little League and you see them, these kids try to do the things the right way, which is great. Yeah. And we, we talked yesterday a little bit about the infusion of travel ball trying to pull away from Little League a little bit, but we, there's almost 3 million kids still playing. It's 84 countries uh, going at it strong right now. And we'll ask you this, and Sal, you weigh in on this. How important is the new program, you think, to, uh, to Little League Baseball in terms of getting the kids back into teaching themselves, the, the new Sandlot program, which they're removing parents. They're there to supervise and watch, but they're not allowed to, to coach and play, letting the kids pick the teams. Could, could we see a swing in some of these issues that we're seeing on the field we talked about earlier about guys leading themselves? Could we see that? Could the Sandlot program be an answer? Yeah, if, if it works, it'll be a huge benefit. Uh, because it'll draw kids out from uh, sitting around and doing nothing, uh, going out on the baseball field without coaches, without anybody yelling at them because they took a strike or they swung at a ball uh, or they didn't throw strikes or, you know, you know what's, <laughs> what, what's the big dad thing? Uh, Keep your eye on it. Keep your eye on it. Nobody, you know, none of that. Just go play. Go go play and have fun. Um, and if that works and kids start having fun with baseball again, uh, that'll be great. I, 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 I was so happy to hear, and I listened. That was a great show yesterday, and so happy to hear that, uh, that Little League Baseball is doing that. And, you know, maybe Cal Ripken will do it on his uh, thing. Well, though, you know, the towns where there's Ripken baseball, the youth league, or whatever, uh, and any other any other people, uh, more kids we get going out and just playing and enjoying the game itself, it, it's going to benefit it. Yeah, no, I agree. Anything where free play, it doesn't matter if it's climbing in the jungle gym or playing pickup basketball or football or baseball. That's what's missing in the kids' experience today is free play. Um, An interesting story, I have some colleagues I were pretty close with at one point that were involved with the USA Ski and Snowboard program. And one of the interesting things they said is that that, those are the snowboard uh, and the skateboard community, that is a non-coach driven uh, endeavor. There's no coaches in that, in, in, in what has created the sport. You know, all these skateboard competitions and snow early snowboarding competitions these were kids who were out there ripping it on their own working with each other to improve themselves and one of the things that they found is that they had to back off the traditional structuring of their training because these kids were not used to that and quite frankly didn't need it and they were trying to inject stuff into their training or into their routine that was actually a, diametrically opposed 
to to what made them good and what makes that sport so interesting. So I think the concept of getting coaches out of it in free play is is really important. And I think that's what the Sandlot should be considered. It's another form of free play. Yeah, and uh, as as you, if you listen to the podcast yesterday, Steve talked about a. You're never too old to play Sandlot. He had an interesting Sandlot game with Kevin Costner at the Williamsport field where he actually took him deep, he said, on one occasion. So, but guys, great show today. I mean, we, we've given our audience about an hour of information. I think we, we made baseball IQs better. We touched on a lot of good topics. I want to make sure that our audience realizes we have a new show coming to the network this afternoon. Uh, Jeff Fry is going to be interviewing John Rocker on his very first podcast, She Gone podcast. And it's going to be part of the Coach and Kernan Network. And we're also going to have Will George right out of the Witness Protection Program hopping into it with uh, you know Major League Scout for the Colorado Rockies. We'll be partnering with Mark Wiley, the Colorado Rockies Major League Director of Pitching, uh, had been for well over well over a decade. They're going to be starting their podcast next Thursday. Uh, Will, you want to just give a brief to the audience what they can expect from that? Yeah, we're really excited. Uh, Mark and I go back uh... – Gosh, close to 45 or close to 40 years or so, we've been friends and uh, worked together uh, with the Orioles, the Indians, and the Rockies. And uh, it's one of the best pitching people in the game, uh, has so many friends in the game who we've all, we've reached out to all of our friends who want to come on to the show and talk about pitching and do everything we can to help young pitchers become the best pitchers they can be, to become healthy pitchers, and to give you as much information as possible to uh, help you become the best player you can be. So we're really excited about this. Do you want to announce your first guest? Do you want to hold that off? Uh, Let's hold it off till we... We, 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 we lock everything down, but hopefully it goes off next Thursday. Good so, deal. Well, I got it on my calendar. So, um, one, one other thing, and you mentioned Field of Dreams, and you know we're, we're critical of Major League Baseball, but uh, something about Field of Dreams every year that, that, you know, for all of us that love baseball, I end up with my tissues and – shed a little bit of a tear as I watched the beginning and they put on a good show there every year. Um, and that, uh, nice job again, nice job last year and nice job this year. Um, and it's, it's, it's good for our game. No, well said. It's a good, good way to end it. And we're looking forward to this afternoon's show, looking forward to kicking off next Thursday with, with Will and Mark. And then our next mode of operation is, uh, is Sal. To, to get to start holding people accountable, get him rolling with his podcast. So, guys, thanks again. Great panel of resident experts. We're lucky to have you. And audience, really soak up this show. A lot of good information for you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.